Welcome to Oikast. I hear green. The podcast presented by Oikos Vienna. to another episode of Oikast, the podcast presented by Oikast Vienna. My name is Lucia and our guest today is Livia from Degrowth Vienna. So hello, Livia. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Lucia. Thanks so much for inviting me. <laughs> so to start off, just, you know, give us a quick introduction of yourself and also of your organization, Degrowth Vienna. I'm Livia. I've um, studied social, ecological, economics and policy at uh, VU Vienna. And now I'm working as a project researcher at the Institute for Heterodox Economics at VU uh, on a project on lobbying in the context of the European Green Deal. Um, and I'm also an activist at Degrowth Vienna. So that's the perspective from which I'm speaking today. Um, where I'm together with my colleague Nathan Barlow um, coordinating a book project on degrowth and strategy. How did you get involved with degrowth? Did it have to do something with your studies and um, also with your job maybe? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, yeah, you're absolutely right. So I, while I was still studying SEEP, um, so that's a short version for social ecological economics, I um, heard from some colleagues of mine that a group of people was trying to organize a degrowth conference uh, on the topic of strategies for social ecological transformation and that they were still looking for people to help out with some tasks and um, at the same time at uni I had read some papers on the problems related to economic growth um, mm -hmm. and uh, green growth and so on. And that's where I became motivated to get involved with an actual activist group that is concerned with degrowth. And then I joined um, the association that was founded only in 2018 uh, for, specifically for organizing the conference. I joined them in the autumn of 2019. And then in 2020, we organized the big online conference um, that had over 4,000 participants from all over the world, yeah. Oh, wow, that sounds really cool. So you have been with them for a while now. And, <laughs> you know, the reason why I invited you was because um, we wanted to talk about the topic of overconsumption. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's now just before Christmas and, you know, we're watching the annual consumption mania I was actually at Maria Hilferstrasse yesterday and, you know, the crowd there, it was just crazy. Mm -hmm. And of course, it, it's not only like that during Christmas, but in Western societies, basically all year round. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in a large part of society, there is environmental awareness, especially um, in, in, my, in my social area. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, it's just radically ignored when it comes to consumption. Do you have any idea why environmental action and environmental awareness just drift so far apart here? 
Uh, yeah, I think that's a really good question. And um, I have some ideas, but clearly also not the, the final answer. Um, I think maybe, well, sometimes I'm not sure whether we might just get the illusion uh, of strong environmental awareness because of the circles in which we are circulating. And maybe in other parts of society, um, there is hardly any awareness. And um, so this could be one factor. Then I think what's way more important though, I think from a structural perspective is, um, Adorno said, there's no right life within the wrong life. So I think we are surrounded by structures and norms that make it way easier for us to make uh, bad decisions or destructive decisions. Um, like it's, it requires an extra effort not to follow the paved way of, for example, consuming rather than, for example, repairing or building or um, it's way easier to make the choice to take uh, the plane somewhere than travel by train if plane tickets are notably cheaper. So I think there are some structural factors that make it way easier for people to make bad decisions. And um, then, of course, it's also a question of habits and access to alternatives. And of course, awareness. I, I agree with that. But I, I think awareness can only get us so far if then the structures within which we act are fundamentally wrong. I definitely agree with you also that there's probably no like one answer on that question. So there are probably many, many reasons. Mm -hmm. But you know, I can observe it myself that, mm -hmm. um, for example, last summer I was um, going to Rome and we were checking for train tickets mm -hmm. and they were like five times the price of, of the flight. So, mm -hmm. you know, I have to be honest, we took the flight because mm -hmm. it was just way too expensive. So I really agree with you. Mm -hmm. And also the aspect of um, comfort, like, of mm -hmm. course, it's more comfortable to just, you know, throw your old things away and buy something new instead of, instead mm -hmm. of just, mm -hmm. you know, repairing it or um, reselling it, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree entirely. And I think then this poses, raises questions as to how can we create settings in which also the ecologically and socially um, preferable options can be comfortable um, and affordable too. And that also leads us to the point that, of course, it's really difficult to just put the responsibility only on the, on the consumer with all the mm -hmm. tempting offers that we get and the seductive advertising and just other methods of influencing consumption. Mm -hmm. I feel like the consumer is no longer really able to decide what he really needs or what is really behind the product and how it was produced. How do you feel? Is it, where's the best place to start in order to stop overconsumption as a habit? Is it really the individual or should we start maybe even, you know, further like on the, on the production side maybe? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think you basically uh, preempted the answer. I would entirely agree with you that I find it, I would find it, highly problematic to just focus on the individual. I think there's um, maybe two dimensions that should be addressed. So I think, of course, there is an element to um, the individual um, 
or say what the individual has internalized. Um, there's cultural norms, there's ideas about what a good life could be like, there's ideas related to how happiness is achieved, what well-being means, and very often it relates or is even synonymous with consumption. So I think there's this mental infrastructure that uh, yeah, will have to be addressed. And then on the other hand, there's also the physical infrastructure. And that, with that, I mean um, basically how um, production and consumption are organized. I think uh, indeed that uh, the problem does by no means um, just lie with or even start with consumption, but uh, production precedes consumption. So it comes first and it shapes also uh, what we can consume and how we consume. So I think it would be time to think about alternative forms of provisioning. So how production be organized differently? Could there be, for example, different ownership structures that do not only try to satisfy stakeholder needs, could there be um, different forms of distributing uh, goods? Could there be ways to rethink supply chains? Should we maybe make a difference between uh, basic goods and luxury goods? Like, um, do we like who needs SUVs and private jets and pools? And you're, actually, I, I think um, probably there are different answers to that. But we should at least pose these questions. Um, should there be consumption caps, for example, for um, the richest people because they also consume them. I totally agree with you. And I think it's interesting that governments and other big institutions and companies, they're still trying to address individual consumption as the mm -hmm. main solution. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because it's just the easiest way. It's easy to say, okay, yeah, well, just mm -hmm. don't buy it. But Actually, it's not that easy because they just don't think of the social and the distribution effect that it has. Mm -hmm. Of course, you can say, okay, um, only buy the organic products, but not everyone can afford the organic products mm -hmm. when they're just way more expensive. Mm -hmm. So I think they're just radically ignoring that. I fully agree with you. I'm totally with you on that. I think um, this is implicit social discrimination or ignorance of social classes basically as if everyone had access to knowledge as if everyone had access to the infrastructures of organic supermarkets and um, i think clearly there's examples when you look into um what urban planners for example or say spatial planners have also um, done research on recently, there's cases in which um, people only have the option to go to huge shopping centers um, because in their village, there's no longer any small uh, shops left. So they need to ride their cars to uh, huge shopping centers. And then they only have huge supermarket chains there. And if, if that is the infrastructure in which someone finds themselves, then it's just, incredibly ignorant um, to say, yeah, just go to an organic local store, uh, shop and everything will be good. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, talking consumption, sustainability is, has definitely arrived also in the bigger companies. Um, mm -hmm. But you're never really sure, you know, is that like greenwashing is really sustainable. Mm -hmm. So 
can we as individuals even counteract the environmental problems resulting from consumption um, by consuming more sustainable products? Do you think is that a solution or does it go in the direct opposite direction? Um, yeah, I think that's, that's exactly the problem that uh, the entire responsibility for the way the debate is framed puts the, um, the complete responsibility on the consumers. Um, and I think the, the biggest danger of that is that it doesn't address producers and it doesn't um, public institutions that should uh, make an effort to provide um, for, um, yeah, make sure everyone has access to the goods they require uh, in a way that is not ecologically or socially damaging. And um, so, um, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, of course, companies will try to um, create green products. Um, there's then, of course, the danger of greenwashing. Like we never quite know to what degree this is actually a green product. There's a lot of intransparency. Um, and at the same time, of course, I think it would be, it would be all too naive to assume that just by consuming uh, supposedly green stuff, uh, the, we can solve, you know, the, the crises in which we find ourselves, such as the climate crisis. Um, it's certainly a systemic question, even if companies produce in a fair, socially and ecologically sustainable way, they are still part, uh, they're still caught up in the treadmill of capitalism. So uh, they still need to pursue profits. They still need to aim towards growth of that company. And I think this implicit um, incentive to constantly, constantly reduce costs and maximize profits um, will, of course, result in uh, going for socially and ecologically less desirable options. Um, uh, yeah, being embedded in a competitive market automatically means that companies need to optimize. So you feel like in our current capitalist system, it, it's not going to be possible to transform our worlds like into a social and more ecological? I think this is a difficult one because we all certainly lack the imagination for an economic system beyond capitalism. I think it's so deeply ingrained in our minds that um, this is the only possible way to organized economies mm -hmm. um, but yeah I think that's it probably depends a bit on you know which um, theoretical background you come from if you come more from a sort of Marxist economic perspective you would probably say yeah within capitalism there will always be the need for accumulation there will always be the need for economic growth and this is fundamentally destructive and in contradiction to a finite planet where um, resource throughput and emissions cannot grow forever. Otherwise, um, as we already see, um, growth has already destabilized the global climate and has um, destabilized social uh, structures too. Um, so yeah, I guess um, within the economic regulations, how they are currently organized, um, I don't really see a way that we could adequately address the challenges um, ahead and present. I totally agree that there's 
probably not really a right answer yet how we're going to mm -hmm. what is what is the best way to address this problem because mm -hmm. no, basically nobody really knows there have been many many approaches but so far none of them worked and I think you already mentioned it a little bit but what approaches does degrowth um, especially spe offer to addressing the climate crisis also including the topic of topic of overcoming. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree with you that, um, and I want to highlight this too, that probably there's no silver bullet solution, but it will require a societal dialogue where people are brought together and where democratic decisions are made about what matters, what is worth being sustained, what is what we should abandon, to ensure that everyone has a good life within the planetary boundaries. Um, so definitely, I think it cannot be up to a few uh, people to make decisions about what the system is supposed to look like and just get rid of everything that we have so far because maybe there are some elements within the existing system that we should actually maintain because they are functional. Um, yeah, that just doesn't add on to the previous question. Um, but now to your actual question. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm, a degrowth is basically a critique of the pursuit of uh, infinite economic growth within, um, yeah, on, on a finite planet. And it advocates for um, different ways of organizing societies in a um, social and ecological well-being are prioritized over uh, corporate profits and overproduction excess. And the main thing that the degrowth movement proposes is a reduction of the material size of the global economy. So basically, the idea would be to shrink some economic sectors that are deemed destructive and not useful, such as the weapon industry, the advertising industry, um, individual mobility to, and um, the fossil industry. Mm. So all the sectors that currently strongly con either strongly contribute to uh, the climate crisis um, or uh, are simply destructive for humanity, mm. in general, such as the weapon industry, um, should be shrunk. Mm. Um, that economies should be organized around um, values such as care and solidarity there can be different so that it's it's a very huge concrete utopia but there um other elements of this would be for example to rethink the main aim of economies you know should economies mainly serve the top 10 percent to increase their profits and personal wealth or should it serve people's needs and how can we achieve this maybe there can be ways of decommodifying basic services such that everyone has access to energy, um, food and water and um, maybe the state, maybe states need to provide for that. Um, maybe there need to be ways to reorganize uh, production and um, current uh, modes of producing such or current features of producing such as planned obsolescence. Um, maybe it would be time to 
start a working time reduction on um, process on a, on a large scale um, since working hours are significantly positively correlated with um, a country's ecological footprint. So all of these things together could, um, is what we would call a social ecological transformation or a decrease. So we have been talking a lot about um, the system as a whole now, mm -hmm. but now like on a personal level, how do you deal with the topic of consumption yourself? I mean, it's mm -hmm. probably impossible to um, not participate in the market at all, but what, <laughs> what do you pay attention to when consuming? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I wish I could not participate in the market at all, but I'm afraid I, I've so far failed. I, I mean, certainly it's a balancing act. Um, I think on the one hand, I'm aware of the illusion of what is called consumer sovereign sovereignty. So the idea that consumers can influence production by the choices they make in the supermarket. I think this is an uh, illusion and there's also research that shows that this is an illusion uh, that's simply not true because um, so I feel of course because this is an illusion that's reduced power and um, for on the consumer side and often I feel really angry about uh, the fact that production preempts choices I would maybe like to make like when I go to a supermarket I'm not really satisfied with any of the options available to be honest especially when it comes to packaging and so I had a phase in which I went to packet-free supermarkets for a while. <clears throat> um, then I also realized that this is actually quite a privilege and at the same time also an absurd thing that, you know, this is not a standard, but an exception that only people with a certain kind of knowledge or sufficient resources like time or money can actually engage in ethical ways of consuming, where I think ethical consumption should be the standard, not an exception. So, um, yeah. For myself personally, I've now created a few rules. <laughs> if you want, like, I try to buy mostly organic and local food. For example, my flatmates and I have get a veggie box from an organic farmer every uh, week. Um, we don't buy anything that's off season, I would say. Uh, maybe there are some exceptions, but most of the time we don't buy fruits and veggies that are off season. Um, I have also recently become more aware of neo-colonial products. Like I think in our cultures, it's completely culturally normalized and legitimized that we drink coffee, even though clearly that's not a local product at all and actually a colonial product with colonial roots. Yeah. Same goes for chocolate, same goes for green and black tea. Um, of course, it's difficult, uh, you know, to... I mean, I, I will admit that I definitely, I don't drink coffee, but I do like chocolate. So um, that's tricky to deal with. And then when it comes to clothes, I, I try to uh, mostly um, get them secondhand, but then there are also some exceptions, of course. And yeah, so that's my personal approach. I'm. I'm okay with it, but of course I wish um, I could just go to a supermarket and buy the things I buy there. This would be automatically ethically approved. Yeah, um, because it's, things are organized differently. Or maybe we don't even go to a supermarket, but go to a cooperative or whatever. Yeah, but this is more like in the future. Mm. 
for us, it's just so normal. We just expect at the supermarket to get coffee, to get tea, to get cho mm -hmm. chocolate. Mm -hmm. And I was like really surprised because I, I don't know, I really didn't think of the fact that this is actually like, that these are actually really co colonial products. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're coming actually from so far away that something, you know, I never really considered it. I, I have to be honest, I drink a lot of coffee. I love coffee. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. That's the standard. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah, I think it's also really cool that you and your roommates, you're on the same page on this, on the consumption topic. Mm -hmm. I think that makes it you know, a lot easier to buy for, uh, um, for the whole apartment. Basically. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm super happy about this. I think it's not, not self-understood by any means, as I've heard from other uh, people in the living constellations that this is actually can also be a, you know a very contested topic where people might actually uh, start discussions about um, whether it matters more to get something especially as students whether to get some and that's exactly the thing we talked about earlier um, whether to get something cheap um, or affordable or something where you think the quality might actually um, reflect that this is socially and ecologically more acceptable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And coming back to Christmas, and um, of course, Christmas also has many social and cultural aspects as well. And mm -hmm. we show our affection and our love for friends and family by giving each other gifts. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What would you say? Um, is buying, like, not buying gifts for Christmas even an option? Um, I would say certainly it is an option and it should be. I think just because something is a tradition, we should not simply continue with it. But um, yeah, I think there's many ways to deal with that. I think um, the, the question is also how we define gifts. You know, gifts, in my opinion, don't necessarily. Um, Things um, um, I won't mention any companies now. <laughs> online, <laughs> we all know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I suspected. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, yeah, but maybe um, go and see whether something can be upcycled or recycled or. Uh, find something by something second hand. I think there's wonderful things people want to get rid of and maybe someone else wants to have. Um, I see, of course, that this is not always an option and sometimes there's just one specific thing someone needs and then maybe also that, um, yeah, you need to make the choice to actually buy something new. But I think even then one could make the choice to go more like to a um, local smaller shop um, not to a huge supermarket chain or to uh, support individual artists or, or musicians. Um, yeah, basically look into alternatives um, to simply going online and ordering something or going to the chain. Um, and I think something that we might also underestimate is the value and beauty of immaterial gifts like we all are short and I think gifting someone with time 
uh, gifting them with one's presence or with um, cooking for someone or, you know, helping someone with reproduct reproductive labor, because I think this is also a big burden in society and it's also heavily gendered. Um, you know, even giving someone a voucher for, I, I will help you clean in the month of January, or I will, um, I will clean your bathroom before Christmas, if that makes you happy. I think these are gifts we completely, whose value we completely underestimate. I think um, we should do these things more often um, to give Is someone with a service or time. Yeah. These are really wonderful ideas, I think, especially because you know, when you ask your parents, for example, what they're mm -hmm. wishing for for Christmas, they usually say nothing. Yes. And yeah. then you just have to try to find something they mm -hmm. might like and maybe they don't even use it then. So these are just really wonderful ideas. And I think everyone will be really happy about it if they are getting some help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that's the case. Yeah, yeah, I would agree because most of us actually, we don't need anything material. Um, we... I, I would say at least in Western societies and um, especially um, probably people like you and I, um, we actually have probably almost everything we need or more than we need even. Um, yeah. So last but not least, is there anything else you want? Um, maybe something that... Um, recently a lot in relation to consumption is that there's actually something really dark about this too, which is that um, capitalism strongly profits from our own self-doubts and from feeling inadequate and feeling like we're not enough. And um, then it throws at us the magic solution of consumption. And I would, want uh, the listeners to know that this is a trap to fall into and actually doesn't add any happiness or well-being it might do so momentarily but definitely not um yeah in, in the long run so i think if um it's important not to fall into the trap it's also important not to carry the burden entirely yourself basically feeling bad about every single consumption choice you make because it's not you <laughs> it's the system um and that doesn't mean you should turn a, a blind eye to um the choices you make but just know that the choices you make alone um that um of accumulation that basically over centuries created this system which we find ourselves in so i think if you know, anyone feels like they would like to do something about this, and maybe the best thing they could do is not to, you know, rethink their consumption patterns or so, but to organize um, and address the problems with production, how things are produced, um, how they are distributed, um, how supermarkets are organized, how much stuff is thrown away. I would encourage everyone to turn more towards the production side and, um, yeah and basically point out what's wrong there. Thank you so much, Livia, for being here today, for taking the time to share your ideas and your opinions with us. And I hope we will see and hear each other again sometime. And to all our listeners, I wish everyone a Merry Christmas and we will hear each other next year. 
Bye. Thank you so much, Lucia. Thank you. Merry Christmas also from my side to those who celebrate it. <laughs>